Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Happy uh, Friday, Junior. Welcome into Morning Footy alongside Alexis Guerrero, Charlie Davies, Nigel Rio Coker. I'm Allie Trost Martin. We got uh, Christmas coming up. Hey, hey what? Hey. Why, why did we all do What was that all about? Yeah, it's it's they, they've got their little pointing thing going on, so I just looked at it and I just went, hey. So that's his thing. That yeah. is very you, Nigel. I like it. All right, well, we've got some big news that came down this morning as uh, the European Court of Justice have ruled that UEFA and FIFA acted against competition law when they blocked the formation of the European Super League. So uh, this completely threw our show uh, in a different direction. We will have Guillaume Balaguet joining us to talk more about this. Jeff Shreves will come on to talk about this as well with us. But let's dig into the statements, shall we, before we uh, So this bring, is breaking news. This is breaking news uh, earlier today. UEFA's uh, statement that they issued says this ruling does not signify an endorsement or validation of the so-called Super League. UEFA remains resolute in its commitment to uphold the European football pyramid, ensuring that it continues to serve the broader interests of society. We will continue to shape the European sports model collectively with national associations, leagues, clubs, fans, players, coaches, EU institutions, governments and partners alike. Barcelona, one of the founding and remaining members of the European Super League, also issued a statement. Theirs says, as one of the clubs driving the Super League project, FC Barcelona feels that the sentence paves the way for a new elite level of football competition in Europe by opposing the monopoly over the football world and wishes to initiate new discussions as to the path that European competitions should take in the future. Atletico Madrid have also issued a statement saying the European football community does not support the European Super League. Germany, France, England, Italy, Spain, except for Real Madrid and Barcelona, etc., oppose the Super League. We advocate for protecting the broader European football family, preserving domestic leagues and securing qualification for European competitions through on-field performance each season. So a lot to unpack there. Guillaume Balaguet now joins us. And Guillaume... This all originated back in 2021. So I want to start with you first on just the backstory. What can you tell us about how this all got going a couple of years back? The backstory is quite clear from the point of view of those that uh, supported the Super League. They wanted more control and more money. That's basically what it was. And it got to a point where uh, they signed contracts, some of the um, English sides, the biggest English sides, uh, some of the Spanish sides, Italian sides, uh, German sides even, they signed contracts uh, with the Super League with the idea of uh, building something. Now, what happened at that point, uh, there's two ways to look at it, because, of course, the fans went into the streets and protested. And they loved to say that it was down to them that everything was stopped. It's a little bit disappointed to hear then, actually, that it was a coup de palace, if you like. It was what happened at the highest instances of football that stopped it. Not so much what happened in the streets. 
because I feel that clubs have got the impression that they can more or less manipulate what the fans feel about things if they talk about bigger names, bigger players, bigger games. But certainly there were protests in the streets. What I think it happened was that the those that supported the Super League at the time felt that there was not a uh, support, legal support, to continue steps towards the Super League. So then they were they got all scared. They were threatened from FIFA, from UEFA, from governments as well, uh, like the UK government, that thought like, no, this is not right. Let's stop this right now. And they didn't feel that there was either enough support among themselves, those that wanted the Super League, but as I say, not a, a legal body, uh, legal uh, um, rules that would support them either. So then they saw people in the streets and thought, oh, I know. Right, fans have told us to stop and we will stop. But really, it didn't stop. What happened was, with the push of first Juventus, but then they abandoned the uh, the project, but especially Barcelona and Real Madrid, and with the support of A22 Sports, an agency that has battled for in, on their behalf, what has happened is that they've gone to the highest instance possible, and the resolution came out today, in which basically saying this is the end of the monopoly of UEFA and FIFA in terms of regulating competitions. Big, massive news. And of course, now the negotiations will start between clubs that are interested in the European Super League. Let me tell you, most of them are. And the UEFA and FIFA in terms of how it all gets together. But football as we know it changed today. Guillaume, a lot has been talked about in the United States about fixture congestion with U.S. Open Cup and MLS. I know Europeans have long been saying, Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola, too many matches, too many matches. How would this be different than the Champions League or the Europa League in terms of the amount of competition in the middle, middle of the regular season with all the matches that are they're already played? How many more matches would be added to the calendar? Charlie, the easiest answer is we don't know. What has happened today is that the uh, the Supercop, representatives of the Supercop, have presented a competition that will have 14 games minimum uh, with all those, those that are involved in, in like a three-league uh, competition. This is what we know. Uh, but actually, what they, are, what they are saying, and you see, you know, the proposal of A22 uh, that includes 64 participant clubs, as I say, 14 uh, minimum uh, matches per club. Uh, the number of weeks in which they will involve in this Super League will be 19. There's more that they said today. There will be promotions and relegations. There will be meritocracy. Those that deserve it from the domestic leagues will get into the European Super League. All that is what we know or what has been proposed. Because really what we are doing today, from today, uh, is discuss what, European football should look like. This is where we stand. And that includes you and us and media people, certainly, but of course, clubs and players and coaches. What has happened today is that they all gone with the backing of a, a ruling that cannot be appealed against is throw it all up in the air. And let's see what comes out of it. Maybe, maybe there will be a domestic competitions that instead of having 20 teams has 18. Maybe at the moment, they're talking about playing the European Super League in midweek. Maybe it gets played at the weekends. We just don't know. Negotiations start now with a much stronger position from the Super League. So 
it is uh, life-changing in a way, but we don't know the shape of it in the future. What certainly has happened is that a big organization, one that everybody should respect from the European Union, saying UEFA, FIFA, you have been a monopoly, things need to change. Wow. Guillaume, um, I want to ask specifically about the, the fight to try to keep these teams away from joining the Super League, whether it's you know, the Premier League, the FA, uh, the Spanish Federation, UEFA, FIFA. Is, with this ruling, do you think this calls them to the carpet to negotiate a way for everyone to work together, or do you think this still is a breakaway? There's going to have to be negotiations, and at uh, 2 o'clock Central European time, there's going to be a press conference that includes Tebas and UEFA, and they're all going to defend their position, which basically is going is to say that uh, some of what has been said today by the uh, Justice Tribunal of the European Union was already in the rulings, or is already in the rulings of UEFA, that all the competitions can be organised. That's what they're saying. And also, uh, it's clear that this tribunal has not specifically ruled on the Super League. That's clear. And they're going to hang on to those things. And they're going to say nothing much has to change, or perhaps we just we could, we, we could adjust what we've got. Whatever is the position, that is the beginning of negotiations. With At the moment, the Super League represented by Barcelona and Real Madrid. But let me tell you, uh, even though... Uh, Publicly, clubs in England, for instance, will say, oh, we don't want change, fans don't want it. They've been listening. They've been very close to Barcelona and Madrid. They've been knowing everything that's been happening. Yeah. And because they've been knowing everything that's been happening, even in England, you will get clubs that will want to listen closely and say, how does it affect us? Can we get more money through it? Can we get more control? Because at the bottom of this story... It's big clubs wanting more money and more control. And the European, European Union has said control has to be shared around, cannot be just in the hands of FIFA and UEFA. Gia, uh, I like your take on everything you're saying so far, and I'm with you in the fact of this is going to change football forever as we know it. This is just the start. With everything you're saying, and we know about the financial struggles of some of these big clubs in Europe, how much of an eye are you keeping on Saudi Arabia on their involvement in football and how much of an opportunity does this present to Saudi Arabia right now? So, Real Madrid and Barcelona cannot compete with club state. I'll say that again in case you didn't hear it. Barcelona and Madrid cannot compete with uh, club state, as they call them. Those that have got unlimited sources of funds that can get that doesn't come from football. Uh, and can get into football. That's how Barcelona and Madrid are describing this. We cannot compete against them. So it must be a way in which by um, establishing uh, a new competition, perhaps, a new competition, establishing a new competition that actually allows them to earn a lot of money, then they can compete. That's what they want, more money and more control. And it is one way of limiting the influence of Saudi Arabia or Qatar, others uh, that may want to get into football. It's a way to balance things out. That's what they say about Barcelona and Madrid. It's fine that they have unlimited sources. We cannot compete with that. But of course, if we get 250 million a year from the European Super League, then we can compete a little bit better. So it is a way to, uh, to uh, reduce the, uh, the force and influence of uh, Saudi Arabia, of, of Qatar and other countries that may want to own clubs. Guillaume, since now we're flipping the football world upside down in Europe, it's been floated around 
that matches would be played on U.S. soil. Could we expect down the line, down the road, some of these big matches, Super, European Super League, coming to the States? And why not? And wouldn't it be exciting? And why not? And I think a lot of um, what we have to do from now on, if we open to change, and I know how conservative football is, and I know that's those that are at the top that have got more money than others that generally uh, can get the better players, especially Premier League, which is already is in a way a Super League, they will say, no change, we're okay as we stand. Yeah, I understand that, but the likes of Ajax and Bruges and Celtic and Rangers, they cannot compete with you. Is there a way where they can? The Super League are saying, yes, there is this way. But once that's open for discussion, that all the smaller clubs get more money, uh, as we say, perhaps smaller domestic competitions, whatever is for discussion, why not? One of the things to discuss is to take football to fans where fans are. And why not the United States, the Far East, whatever, China, anything. Anything is possible because now it's a matter of imagining the future, which is open for discussion. And I understand the leagues and the UEFA, this press conference will hear it all, of course, in which they say, put the brakes on. Um, they'll say there are judicial reasons for this not to happen. But I insist, I think we are now entering a new era in which anything is possible. I, I feel like this um, is more about greed than competition, oh, right? So, wow. 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 You know, that was an easy there. assessment. Wow. At what point do the players have power to say, no? The players will Enough. not ever get involved in that. The players, the players are going to get well paid. The players will not get involved in that. Yeah, the fans are the, the ones with the, the power. You think the majority of players will say, "I'm cool to play games in in China. I'll play matches in in the in the states, wherever, as long as I'm getting paid, and the rest of the footballing world suffers." Yeah. Players will be that kind of mindset. Yeah. Got, not all players are motivated by the same. We've thing. got Barcelona playing a friendly in the U.S. today, and they yeah. had a game and midweek. So I, I, anything can happen. Guillaume, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to join us. Uh, great insight, as always. And we will talk so much more about this breaking story here on the show. And coming up next, Jeff Shreves will join us You're to uh, dig in a little Miss bit deeper on all of this. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take a break. When we come back, more Morning Footy after this. This holiday season, Galazzo Network has you covered with the best from the best. Starting Christmas Eve at 3 p.m. through Christmas Day, you can watch the best Champions League performances from the biggest stars of the last decade. You can watch the greatest matches from Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, Mbappe, Haaland, and more right here on the Galazzo Network. Now let's send it on over to Adriana Mansave, who is in again for some headlines. Adriana, take it away. Thank you, Ali. We have a lot of going on in the soccer world, so we're going to start with international soccer. And FIFA's final rankings of the year are out, and Argentina remains the top team in the world. The top 20 was largely unchanged, with Mexico slipping on place to 15, one place to 15th, dropping behind Colombia. The U.S. men's national team stayed at 13 overall, the highest-ranked team in CONCACAF. In other international news, the Club World Cup final is set for tomorrow with Manchester City facing Fluminense. City will be without Erling Haaland and Jeremy Doku, who aren't allowed to play in the final. A Club World Cup rule requires players to be on their team roster in the semifinals to be eligible for the final. Both players set out City's semifinal win over Urawa Red Diamonds. 
In MLS news, Steve Cherundolo has signed a multiple-year contract extension with the L Los Angeles FC. Cherundolo has been LAFC coach for two seasons, leading them to an MLS Cup title in 2022. He led LAFC to three finals last season, though LAFC lost all three. We have some coaching news in women's game. Lauren Donaldson has been hired as the new head coach of the Chicago Red Stars. The Jamaican coach takes over a team that finished with the worst record in the NWSL. Donaldson led Jamaica to a historic run to the World Cup round of 16, but left the Reggae Girls when his contract expired in September. Moving over to the news we discussed at the start of the show, the European Court of Justice has ruled against FIFA and UEFA in their case against the proposed uh, European Super League. The court stated that rules requiring prior approval before establishing a new competition were unlawful. Real Madrid and uh, Barcelona remain the leading proponents of the proposed Super League, while multiple European giants have already responded to the new ruling by stating they will have not part in the proposed Super League. Manchester United is one of the teams to release a statement saying, and quote, we remain fully committed to participation in UEFA competitions. We have more on this developing story. Back to you, Ali, with this hot topic. Thank you, Adriana. We now welcome in Jeff Shreves, who is joining us uh, to break down this developing story. And Jeff, I just first want to start uh, by getting your reaction to uh, what we've learned as of late with what the latest is. Uh, good morning, folks. I think, first of all, you've got to actually look at what this judgment from um, the European Court of Justice, which is, of course, the EU's most senior court, actually means, because it's, it's very important you focus on the decision that's been made today. What it is saying is that UEFA and FIFA acted unlawfully in European, in European law, and it said by not allowing clubs to join the Super League or a breakaway league or even discuss it, they were violating the anti-competitive European laws. Now, straight after that, and that's the core of the judgment. Now, straight after that, the two remaining clubs, Barcelona and Real Madrid, of course, they've claimed great victory you know this is the way forwards this is an historic day for football there'll be a new competition formed but on the other side of things the clubs that want to stay and those who are anti the new a22 proposal which of course is the new super league have said look it doesn't in any way shape or form endorse any other proposal as well and also if you look carefully it would require the sporting bodies to allow their clubs to talk to other competitions, but the clubs are not going to do that because they already have restrictions in place in terms of the league's rules and also the government in terms of the Premier League have put restrictions in place about clubs signing up to this type of thing. So I'm not entirely convinced it actually moves things a great deal forward. I'm not sure how far the needle has actually moved on this because straight away you just read the Manchester United statement there. It's all very well saying, OK, the law at that time was it fell foul of the competitive nature, the, if you like, the anti-competitive laws that exist in the, EU, in the EU. But that, not for one second, does it mean that the clubs are going to sign up for this? Uh, because don't forget, you know, Football ultimately is owned by the fans, 
They don't want it. Super League lasted less than 48 hours. Players don't want it. Managers don't want it. Coaches don't want it. I really can't see this changing much at all. And as I said, the two biggest proponents, Barcelona and Real Madrid, La Liga, their own league, have come out and said, we do not endorse this. We remain fully committed to both UEFA and FIFA competitions. Look, you don't have to see the pictures there of the protest. Such was the depth of feeling at the time. It, it really it struck right at the heart of what football means to the people of this country and it's not just it's not just a legal contract it's an emotional contract with the fans and not for one second would they entertain it i was at old trafford on that day when the fans broke in we were broadcasting live and they made their feelings known very very clearly so i think you've got to to look at what has been said today but then ask yourself the question okay it maybe leaves the door open once again for the Super League or A22 to come back. But in the intervening period, I think the clubs and the leagues and the fans, if you like, they've steeled themselves to be even more resistant. Jeff, I'm glad that you bring up actually Manchester United, funny enough. How surprised are you uh, how quick they were to release a statement and how much, this is just my opinion, do you think this is a bit of a PR stunt by Manchester United to get the fans on their side to detract all the other stuff that's going on at the club with how poorly they're being run and how poorly they're doing to make it seem like they're a club now that belongs to the fans and it's all about the fans? Oh, you cynic, Nigel. How could you say such a thing? That's terrible. What an accusation to make. Uh, Mm, yeah, that, that, that possibly is at the back of the mind. Uh, to be honest with you, Nigel, I think at the forefront of their mind is the last time they announced their participation, it really did go down like a cup of cold sick, as the old saying goes. So I think they are quick to, if you like, underline their commitment to the existing uh, competition and their participation. They're, they're looking to distance themselves immediately. And this is the self-styled biggest club in the world. So if they're saying... We want no part of this right now whatsoever. Then that's a huge statement. A huge statement. I just, honestly, unless you we obviously we all saw the headlines around the world, but unless you were here, it's difficult for me to convey to you the depth of feeling that existed when the Super League came out. Honestly, it, it came and went so quickly, and such was the was the, the reaction of horror, the protests against it, I think the clubs are smart enough to know if there's even a whiff, a whiff of any Premier League club entertaining this idea, they will be in serious trouble with their fans. And as I said, plus the league itself, plus the government. Jeff, um, for those of us who, who obviously weren't in England at the time, are, is the sentiment around when the Premier League broke off from uh, the top flight, made its own league, was the sentiment at that time similar to what we're seeing now? Or was that met with a bit more... I guess, confidence or, or hope? No, uh, to, to be honest with you, Lex, it's, it's a good question. Um, but what, what I would say is it, the fans are looking at the competition. The fans of this country, I just heard you talking just now to my good friend, Guillaume, talking about will games be played in the States ever? That what The fans here, they want to watch their club week in, week out. There's hardcore away fans and there's also obviously huge grounds full of home fans every single week. They want to go and watch their team. 
It's as simple as that. When the Premier League was a breakaway, that didn't change that. The only thing that really changed was the television, and there were more games on television, which at the time, there were so few games being shown, was seen as a massive, massive bonus for all football fans. They could see more football. I mean, this this really isn't to replace the Premier League, this A22 idea. This is about replacing the Champions League in its existing format, in, in truth. That's what it's all about. But the clubs want no part of it because I think also as well, they, the fans in particular, would see this as the thin end of the wedge. So it, it just, I can't see it flying. I really can't. But as we know, money talks in all sport, and that includes football. So you can never say never, but right now it looks a long, long way from going any further. So, Guillaume, you don't want to be invited to my suite uh, for the North London Derby in Las Vegas? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> did you just call me Guillaume? I'm he sorry. Did. Yeah, he, he did. did as well. He did. He did. You he said Guillaume. So Disrespectful. So he went from Shreff to Guillaume. <laughs> Guillaume. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Sorry. Um, I gave you a little spice. So I uh, ruined the joke. I yeah. said. Okay, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff. Yeah. Look. Hypothetically. Okay. Well, hypothetically. Yeah, let's say this league. Yeah. This league ends up coming together. No English teams mm -hmm. are involved, but it starts to flourish. Teams are making a lot of money. The ownership groups, uh, some of them are obviously foreign. They're like, hey, it's time for us to start getting involved. Mm. How would that happen? What would that look like for English teams to move away from Champions League, from, from the UEFA competitions and move into the Super League? What would, what would it take and what would that look like? I think that it's almost impossible to theorise, Charlie, because it's so far away from potentially happening. Now, I'm not saying never, never, never. That's always a very foolish thing to do. But you think that, so La Liga have said, no way, Jose. Germany have come out and said, not remotely interested. England, the Premier League, have made their position very, very clear. So I think it would be very hard for the A22 to get any sort of foothold amongst European clubs. But we cannot ignore that the Premier League takes the majority, the lion's share of the finances and its product when it's sold around the world is the most valuable commodity in club football right now. So I, I understand where they're coming from. But at the same time, people are not going to give up those positions lightly. Germany's interesting as well, because they say it's not just about the money. It's about the social contracts that they have with their fans. And of course, they have their club ownership model as well. So I, I really, I think we're so far away from clubs being tempted to even get involved in a conversation about this. It's not realistic to, to discuss it. But at the same time, I think it is important to note that the owners of Premier League clubs, who got it horribly wrong last time, they are now a lot of foreign owners, a lot of American owners as well. And if the Middle Eastern leagues, you know, you've only got to look at the Saudi league as well. If they start to dominate with players and competition and there is then a change in the balance of power, then maybe the conversation would change then. But I think you're talking years before that conversation would happen. But we can't ignore either as well. You know, the world is moving on. It is changing the way people view things, the content they want, how they view it, through what medium, and they want access. Fans want to join in from all around the world. So I think, if anything, you, you would hope 
that the fans would benefit somehow by clubs upping their game in this country and others in order to see off the challenge. Jeff, just the last one for me quickly. I need you to give my American colleagues a bit more insight to understand how heavily involved the British government is going to be in this process because obviously wanting to keep these big historic English club within English competition and not to kill the domestic league. Can you just give us a bit more deeper insight how much football means to English fans and the government's involvement? Well, as you know, Nigel, there's the bill at the moment, there's the talk of the football regulator coming in. The government put in place restrictions in the new football governance bill as well because when Super League was announced, it was basically... There was a groundswell of opinion that you can't trust the clubs and therefore the government had to step in and get involved, which is why if the new football governance bill goes through fully as to what they want, we will have a regulator in place and that will prevent exactly this type of thing from happening once again. So the government fully appreciates what football in this country does in terms of being part of the fabric of society and also not just the top echelons of football, but how they feed the pyramid down as well, right the way down to the amateur game. Everybody benefits from the current current ecosystem and that's what the government is looking to protect as well. So that stops, if you like, the club's personal desire for more money taking precedent over the people of this country in terms of what happens with their football club. And also as well, Nigel, it it all started with Berry going bust. Don't forget this. Bizarrely, it started with Berry going bust and the the question of, as we put it, financially irresponsible owners uh, or perceived as such to stop that from happening as well. So it's top and bottom. They're looking to protect the public or the, the fans from losing their beloved football clubs. So it should it should ideally have a benefit at both ends of the scale. Got to think about the, wow. the tax money, right? So how much money football provides England? Yeah. They, there's no way the government's not going to intervene. Oh, yeah. 100%. Also, it's they, you vote is how you stay in. You want to upset everyone? Say you're for this. <laughs> you want everyone to vote for you? Say you're against <laughs> it. Jeff. Guys, guys, yeah. can I just, before I, before I go, can I just give you the most important news of today by a long, long way? Yes. Give it to me. Tom Lockyer, the Luton Town captain, has just been released from hospital and he's now back home with his family. Oh. He's had a procedure, but he's now back home with his family. That's, oh. that's excellent amazing. news. It's terrifying amazing. when uh, he went into cardiac arrest just the other week. So uh, great news ahead of the holidays. Jeff, enjoy yours and thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Thanks, folks. See you again. Thanks, Guillaume. All right, the big news today, the European Court of Justice have ruled that UEFA and FIFA acted against competition law when they blocked the formation of the European Super League back in 2021. So we'll have more on that later on in the show. But coming up next, we are talking La Liga, ironically enough, uh, back after this on Morning Footy. Welcome back to Morning Footy. Here's a look at the Tuesday-Wednesday La Liga results. Valencia get the 1-0 win at Rayo Vallecano. Sevilla finding new life with their manager, earning a 3-0 win over Granada. Celta Vijo went down 3-0 and then bagged two goals in five minutes early in the second half, but not enough to spark a comeback as they fell 3-2 to Villarreal. And uh, 
Barcelona. 3-2 over Almeria, but not a very inspiring performance. And how about this one? Atletico Madrid drawing 3-3 with Hetafe just could not hold on to the lead. And uh, that is where we start to get a reaction. They had a chance, you guys, to extend a home unbeaten run where they had racked up win after win after win going all the way back to January. Couldn't quite do it. Uh, Charlie, what was the difference for Atleti in that game? Why the breakdown? Well, they're still unbeaten. There's Unbeaten, yes. The win streak is what I was... The winning streak yes. comes to an end. Uh, yeah, these are the matches that you, you, you can't be in front at home knowing that you're chasing Barcelona, you're chasing Real Madrid, you're chasing Girona now, and, and concede. It, it, it's unimaginable. Look, at this stage in the match, knowing that this is a team that doesn't concede, that defends, it was just, they, they, they gave up. Yeah. It, it was a lapse of concentration. Obviously, this handball, and that's the pen that, that seals the draw for Hetafe, and it's it's disappointing because you're looking at this this Atletico Madrid team. You know they they have the style to compete because I think they're formed in the right way to grind out results. That's that's what they do. They grind it out, and Griezmann has been playing extremely well. But at the end of the day, you have to get three points at home, especially with a red card in the first half. You still think Atletico Madrid has. The defensive prowess to hold off a Hitachi. It's 3 to, 1. Yeah, to not let them get back in. And for them to make simple mistakes you normally don't see from a Diego Simeone team was a little bit shocking. Well, the, the penalty call was a bit of a tough one because we see it, and it's, it's not his resting hand. So in a modern game, you're going to get that. But. Atletico Madrid were very lucky not to lose that game in the end because after Getafe got that equalizer, they nearly scored in the dying minutes. The only thing that I saw for me that was, it's not a worry, it's just a small little thing is defensively, you know they're good. But in this game there, they couldn't get that first clearance. And Charlie, you know this, when you're defending at times and you're under the cost, when you need to clear that ball, it needs to be a clean and precise, calm, collected, just clear it. Get it out of your box in there and get your team to squeeze up. They were just half clearing things and that's what led to Getafe getting goals in this game because the clearances just wasn't good enough. And that is a good, it's a technique aspect of the game and, and, and a real high level of concentration. But for me, it's a big disappointment for them to drop, uh, drop points against Getafe. Hetafe second straight draw against Atletico Madrid, but a big bright spot for Atleti. Antoine Griezmann had a brace in the match, and uh, with those goals, 173 career goals with Atletico Madrid, which ties the club record. What has he meant to this Atleti side? What's crazy to me, Ali, is he left Atletico Madrid to yeah. go to Barcelona and try that out, right? Mm -hmm. In what you could argue is his prime of his career, but this, he's having an incredible season. I, I, what I love about Antoine Griezmann is he's consistent. And in this system, it really suits him well playing under Diego Simeone because he has a little bit more freedom. Mm. And yes, he, he's He's been given with, that freedom. Yes, he, he's been given it recently now, and that's why he's playing. I, I would say he's playing in his prime. And just to add to like what you're saying, Charlie, is when you watch him score that goal, he runs and celebrates that with Diego Simeone. This there shows the special relationship between a manager and a player. Because as a player, you're not doing that with a manager unless you respect him beyond the manager. You respect him as the man that he is. This is a deeper relationship and connection than just a football manager and a player. But the, the way he's playing, you can see Diego Simeone's giving him that freedom and he trusts him. When you look at another player like Yao Felix when he was there, Oof. Diego Simeone would not give Yao Felix that same kind of freedom that he's giving Antonio Griezmann right now. But, so you, why, but so he's why earned he... it. That's he's the, that's earned the thing. it, 100%. Griezmann has earned it. 
and Jao Felix has not earned it. Yeah. And, it and it's with consistency season after season. But to go back on what you said, a player celebrating with a coach. Have you seen a player celebrate with a coach not having that, that relationship, though? Because I have. No. I have seen it. Where maybe the player is looking for that mm. relationship. Yeah. And he's trying to, in a way, force it yeah. by celebrating with the coach. The embrace, hey, you selected me. I'm giving you respect. You know, I think, I think of my, my first goal, league goal in Sweden, and the coach, Tony Gustafsson, who is the Australian women's uh, head coach, I had, I had a lot of ups and downs that season. And, and I just, for whatever reason, I just couldn't, I had this mental block, I couldn't finish. I'd get in great positions, but I couldn't finish. Felt like Darwin Nunez a little bit. <laughs> um, oh, oh, shots fired. And, and, you know, towards the end of the season, he kept pushing me. Hey, you gotta train hard to put your head down. Sometimes you come off the bench, even when you expect to start, I'll dictate when you're ready to play. End of the season, comes and he, and he starts giving me the opportunities to play. And I score that first goal, and my initial reaction is, wow, this coach has trusted me, he's pushed me, he's backed me, he's believed me, and I owe this to him, because he's given me that opportunity. And, and, and I think that, that was when the relationship really started. To, oh, to did you give him a that hug and a kiss on his cheek? Was it the forehead? He turned yeah. his back. It was a good hug. It was a good hug. No, <laughs> that was uh, nice. Speaking of connections yeah. with managers, I also want to give a little bit of a shout out to Didier Deschamps, who was in, you know, pretty essential in moving him a little bit further back. You know, early in his career, we saw him be that forward, that that striker, want to get in behind goal, uh, want to get in behind the defense. His ability to create chances as well, not just score, is absolutely incredible. And you said he's in his prime. He's 32 years old. This is essentially his second prime now. Yeah, no, I don't agree to that period of all of a sudden you've got to be 27 up to be in your prime. I think it's just different for different players. And right now, we are seeing the best form of Griezmann. And like you said, they're dropping deeper, but he also does the defensive work. How many times do mm. you see him in the yeah. box clearing? Well, you have to, like, if you play for Simeone. Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, and it's both. You can see that relationship just in the goal celebration alone. So uh, that's important for a team to yeah. have success. A manager that was not so happy uh, with his, La, uh, his team's La Liga performance, Barcelona manager Xavi, he said that the performance lacked soul as Barcelona scraped by to get a 3-2 uh, win over Almerias. What is going on? What's, where's the disconnect at within this Barcelona squad for the manager to, to make a comment like that? He knows it's not good enough. He knows what it's like. He's a legend of the club. He's played at the club. He's seen the players that he's working with. He knows they're not at that Barcelona level. Like, if you look at the goals they conceded, it was embarrassing for it Barcelona's was. standard. Yeah, like they cannot Almeria. defend. Almeria, sorry. And then now you're starting to see, I think now the, the confidence level is starting to creep up on these players now that they're starting to doubt themselves. And when you start to doubt yourself at clubs of this stature and this level, it only magnifies it and gets bigger because you're already facing so many historic players in the games and you're coming up after them and playing for this same club. It's just the standards might just be too high, and sometimes the pressure might be well, too high. Well, you say the players. standards are too high. Look at this Barcelona side. Who do you say looks like a real Barcelona player that is is at the the caliber needed to win a Champions League and and win La Liga? Like which one of these it's, teams would have gotten to like 2012? I mean, you know yeah. what I mean? Like if you're talking about that the the era with Neymar, Messi, Suarez. Busquets, Well, and Xavi, the, the players have recognized it as well because they've also said it needs to be better. So more questions and answers right now uh, for this Barcelona team. But let's take a look at the upcoming La Liga fixtures for Thursday. Girona taking on Real Betis as they look to remain atop the table. Real Madrid trying to stay on Girona's heels. They are on the road at Deportivo Alaves. 
We will take a break here on Morning Footy. When we come back, we are talking some Ligun. Stay with us.